Hello everybody and welcome back to another edition of Kavam and as you can see, if you're watching on YouTube at least, for the first time we are in Vision. I'm joined by Ryan and Charlie to discuss the Season 17 box set, that's our main focus in this week's podcast. Uh, the Blu-ray which was released just before Christmas um, and we're going to be diving deep into some interesting stories um, and some really good, I think, special features from the Blu-ray box set as well as discussing the news of the possible end of the animation range for Doctor Who and uh, a possible collection box set that may have leaked already as to what's going to be coming out next. So you'll also be able to hear later what the next Blu-ray box set is most likely to be. But first, Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Elliot. Thank you very much for asking. Um, I can't wait to dive into more of the infamous Season 17 and all of its many joyous goodies on display, and as well as discussing what is actually kind of worrying news about the animation but i'm pretty sure we'll have more to discuss as we indeed <laughs> exactly yeah i mean charlie are you as um disparaging of season 17 as as ryan is do you think it's quite as um you know concerning a season it's i don't know i, I don't think it's the worst season ever i do think there are worse in doctor who it's mm -hmm. Yeah, it's certainly not amazing, though. Like, I, I used to... I remember I said before that I preferred it to season 18. Um, mm. More updated opinion, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't well, I, I look forward to discussing that more. And I should just say that um, Bill isn't joining us for this edition of the podcast. He's, um, I think, a bit worn out. So he'll be joining, but he will be back again for the next podcast and we'll hear his season 17 thoughts in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, let's just dive straight into it. Season 17. Um, it's a season which, as you, I think you guys have covered, is not very highly regarded. It's the final season of the Graham Williams era of Doctor Who. It's the final season of 1970s Doctor Who, um, although I think it ends just about in 1980, doesn't it, with Haunted Nightmon was over the Christmas, the festive period at the end of 79 into 80. And it's a funny old season because I feel like you've got City of Death that generally what we say is a pretty, is probably, you know, a great Doctor Who story. Would we, would we all say it's a pretty good Doctor Who story? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, so yeah you, honestly, um, yeah. I, I do love it when Douglas Adams writes stories. He, yeah, they're always the highlight of the season, probably. Mm, absolutely, exactly. and see, you you've got you've got that, but then you've got this sort of slightly dodgy <laughs> set of episodes to go with it, with <laughs> Destiny of the Daleks, Creature from the Pit, Nightmare of Eden, Horns of Nymon. I know we've got Sharda, but I kind of it's part of season seventeen, but it's also kind of separate because it was never made and it's half animated and all that. So, Ryan, um, we've chatted a little bit, little bit about season seventeen in the past podcast, especially Creature from the Pit and the infamous Errato. Um, yeah. Well, firstly, have you with with the new box set? Have you watched any many of the season seventeen stories on the box set? Yes, I actually did revisit all the stories, which again impressive, was impressive, quite an experience. I yes. shall say, um, I will agree with Charlie. It's definitely not. The worst series okay. and honestly watching it after the mess that was Doctor Flux I cut this was kind of a little bit of a welcome relief which is surprising yeah. to say um uh I will say yes I wouldn't say season 17 is a good great but yeah I kind of love it in a very strange way it's weird because I think if you watch it don't take it seriously as a Doc 2 series, mm. but watch it as this a children's family show about this weird eccentric scientist who can somehow travel through time and space and thinks he's the saviour of the universe. It is an absolute delight from beginning to end. And um, it's, it's in a way, it's a bit of a special series for me because my dad 
has an absolute ball with this series. Every time he watches it, it always puts a smile on his face. And I think it's because of how so weird and bizarre it is. And I think it pretty much sets the tone right at the very beginning. Those first five minutes of Destiny of the Daleks perfectly sums up the season 17 in a nutshell. You have K-9 suffering from laryngitis for some reason, even though he's a robot. <laughs> and then you have Romana coming in. She suddenly change she's not mary tam anymore she's all of a sudden she looks like princess astra from the yep. previous story and then she tries on different outfits like as if she's trying on different clothes and so she's like yeah i think i'll just look like lala Ward for some reason and yep. then just immediately after that they're just like we shall see where we are and they open the tardis window scan or whatever and tom baker's like oh look rocks and they just shut the door and i think all yep. that just perfectly sums up what's to come, really. Um, as far as the stories are concerned, um, Destiny of the Daleks, it is hilarious if you don't take it seriously, but if you take it seriously, it is a pretty lousy follow-up from Genesis of the Daleks. Yeah. I mean, because Genesis of the Daleks was so brilliant, there's no way it could have matched up to that, especially when you got Tatty Daleks and an even Tatty-looking Davros bobbing up and down, mm. as if he's like a rubber duck in a bathtub um you have creep yeah. um, actually well city of death is is great i mean obviously douglas adams that's his masterpiece there's no um denying that it is really good creature from the pit well i've pretty much said my piece on it um yeah what else is there to say but erato oh boy erato <laughs> yes yes uh, uh, nightmare of eden it's not a bad idea, but I just feel like it's kind of not very well executed. And I find the behind-the-scenes drama more entertaining than the actual story itself. Mm. Horns and Daimon, again, it's just basically... It's kind of a serious story just taken absolute for last by Graham Crowden going, Lord Daimon and all yeah. that, and, and about proclaiming about his big dreams of conquest and all that. Indeed, it's indeed. Absolutely hilarious. And, and I guess I might as well include Sharda. Yeah, yeah. I, I, do, I do really enjoy Sharda. I think, especially now that we've got the upteenth version of Sharda, which is now <laughs> called the definitive version. I know, and it's, it's ruined our old podcast about Sharda, hasn't it? That was meant to be an all-encompassing Sharda podcast, and now it's out of date. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if they looked, listened to our podcast and be like, yeah. you know, let's try and release another version. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah, and I still really enjoy Sharda. It is good fun, even though it's not as more tightly constructed like, say, um, City of Death and even Pirate Planet. It's still a solid watch. And I think had it, if this was fully done, I think it would have been a much better end to the season than, say, Horns of Naimon was, um, mm -hmm. which is, well, but then again, anything could be better than Horns of Naimon. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a, as I said, it is an absolute hilariously bad season, but yet I think it's entertaining for how hilariously bad it is. If you want to have a good old time, I'd say watch it, because it... Even if you're down, it could cheer, it will definitely cheer you up. You'll never find I don't think you'll ever find a dull moment in it. But if you take it seriously as a Doctor Who, yeah, I 
it is kind of rough, I suppose, and maybe Tom's worst season. I don't know. It's either mm. that or season fifteen. Yeah, that's that's the question, isn't it? I, I I can't really decide which one I prefer. I think you're right, though, that you kind of have to enjoy it for the the comedy aspect, the Douglas Adams aspect, essentially, in this season, because you you can really enjoy it if you kind of embrace the comedy that, that, that a lot of it's been played for. I mean, sometimes you have to laugh at stuff which they didn't intend to be funny, aka Arato. Um, and, you know, that can, I guess, enhance your enjoyment of the season. Like, sure, it's no, you know gritty dark you know resurrection of the daleks or deadly assassin or times of when trying like it's nothing like that sort of era of doctor who any of those but actually it it can be thoroughly enjoyable i think you've always just got to kind of say this is the comedy version of doctor who rather than the serious version of doctor who and then i think you're in a better place yeah but um charlie what would you say is is apart from city of death are there any other real highlights in season 17 um well, I used to be a lot kinder to season 17 than I am now. <laughs> yes, I remember like, a few months ago we were talking about it and you were like, as you said, you, you preferred it to season 18. Um, yeah, like, um, that, that opinion is now gone. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I did rewatch both seasons. Um, and yeah, I, I do prefer season 18 by quite a bit, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Season 17, yeah. Um, I feel if you watch this as like, for example, if you watch... Um, Austin Powers. You don't expect a good spy film, do you? You expect, <laughs> you know, that. So it's kind of like season 17 and the rest of Doctor Who, really. It's yeah. just don't expect good sci-fi. Expect just a fun, weird one. Um, and yeah. you'll, you know, you kind of get a kick out of it. Um, Destiny of the Daleks, I still find somewhat enjoyable. Like, yeah, I feel like the cast are really good. Um, and although it never could top Genesis, it could be a lot worse. Mm-hmm. you know it could yeah, just be another it could yeah. be another rehash of you know the daleks and planets of the daleks you know it's it's got some mm. stuff going for it um nightmare of eden as well um i feel it's just kind of there you know in all the craziness of the rest nightmare of eden's just you know just kind of there it's not really talked about very much i think it's mm. pretty good um as for the rest horns of Nymon is just ridiculous um and creature from the pit um <laughs> I feel it's sort of a recurring joke in this podcast now. We, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, the creature from the pit moment. Yes, indeed. Yeah. indeed. Um, and Sharda, Sharda's okay. I feel it gets gets more of its legacy from its reputation, perhaps, okay. more than maybe the actual story. Um, it's really good, and it looks really good after Horns of Nymon, but yeah, I don't think it's as good as City of Death or Pirate Planet. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I think I might have said it before in the podcast, but I feel like the scene in whichever episode of Horns of Nine one it is where Tom Baker's in the TARDIS being completely nonsensical, making some device that's making ridiculous noises, and he's just kind of talking to camera. It's like it's like just the whole production team kind of lost. Like Tom Baker was like, I don't even care anymore. I'm just going to do whatever I like in the TARDIS because I'm getting nothing to do in this story, and it's terrible, and it's just... It, it just feel I feel like it epitomizes this period of Doctor Who in like one five minute sequence that's just completely ridiculous. Um, yeah, giving K nine the kiss of life in one scene after his head yeah. goes backward, and then as he's fixing the TARDIS, it just as he said, it makes cartoon noises, and yeah. he just goes, "That is really odd." Wouldn't you say that's odd, K nine? And K nine just goes, "Odd, not computable," and I think that just. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right <laughs> yeah and I, and I, I mean i don't 
I don't fundamentally hate season 17. Like, I think there is, as we've said, there's there's some fun stuff in there. Obviously, City of Death is the obvious great story. And Sharda, as you say, is pretty good too. I feel like Sharda might be... A, I feel like it drags on a little bit. I think the six-part version helps it, but it does still drag on a little bit. Um, particularly in the later episodes, I find it just... You just kind of... Yeah, there's it just it just goes on. I mean, that's six part or two to an extent, but um, I feel like that's a bit of a problem. And then yeah, we've said about creature from the pit, destiny of the Daleks. I just feel like is it's just kind of a Dalek story that's there. Like you know, you've got some really good ones like Genesis, like Evil the Daleks, Power of the Daleks, Remembrance of the Daleks, and then you've got Destiny that isn't. It's got Davros in it, so that's cool. Although it'll be it's the kind of not good version of Davros. You know, it's not the original Michael Wisher version. It's not the Terry Malloy version. It's the david goodison one-off version which i don't want to say he's terrible like he's not i just think he's the weakest portrayal of davros that we've had um which you know doesn't help the story when davros is such a central part of it um and, and that's so funny um it, mm-hmm. oh sorry to you off, uh, uh, one thing i forgot to mention as it came to davros when he makes his big return you know this is meant to be the one-off if not the biggest enemy of doctor yeah. he comes out and immediately Tom Baker is just like, have a jelly baby. And he just, and that was Max and then proceeds to push Davros about like as if he's a wheelie bin. And I'm just like, this is supposed to be the ev- most evil man in the universe yeah. and he's been reduced to this. Yeah. And I, think, I think that kind of shows you just the kind of perspective that Douglas Adams had on what he wanted to do with Doctor Who because that sort of stuff, you know, Douglas Adams would have certainly influenced his script editing of the season. And it was kind of like, rather than playing up a big moment or playing, you know, playing into the, the 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 significance of, you know, the return of Davros, he's almost choosing instead to undercut it for comedy by throwing in a comedic line in what's meant to be a really, you know, significant, serious moment. And in general, that probably doesn't work for Doctor Who. That isn't really, you know, sure, it probably works for Hitchhikers, but that's meant to be a bit comedy, whereas I don't think it really works in Doctor Who. Yes, Charlie, go for it. I was just going to say, um, I did pick this up, uh, you know, after watching 17 and 18 back to back. I feel Douglas Adams does with season 17 what um, Bidmead did to season 18. Douglas Adams made it too comedic, whereas Bidmead took pretty, you know, fantastic scripts and made them a little bit too science fiction nonsensey. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he was too obsessed with complex scientific ideas and theories, which suddenly just you end up you know, confused trying to follow stories when they're talking about entropy and we're in e-space and it's it's all just a bit nonsensical, isn't it? Um, so yeah, I can definitely see that that perspective. Uh, but coming on to the Blu-ray release itself, I mean, I have watched a reasonable amount of it, fundamentally really enjoyed it. I think it's another great, you know, release. I, I, I can't decide whether it's one of the best releases or not. Like, I don't, I didn't feel like there was necessarily as much new content on this release sure there was a few documentaries and we had the new version of sharda and like it's not to say that any of the releases are bad i just feel like some of the previous ones we might have got or it felt like at least that we got more new content in the in on the blue release i don't know did either of you guys have that perspective or did you just enjoy it <laughs> um well i think there was a fair i think there was a a decent amount of, yeah and i'm sure i don't think, don't think that was as much when compared to something like say um season 24 where they did yeah. add a lot of new stuff to yeah to it um i think this is a fair amount i would have perhaps would have liked to have more new documentaries on creature from the pit and horns of night and mainly horns of nine and i don't think horns of nine one still has any documentary about no really there's, there's not a lot it's a it is kind of a shame just to just to hear what the thought process was as they were 
making that story, but you know, yeah. I guess it is what it is, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder if it's a similar problem they had with, um, I know with Nightmare of Eden, that doesn't have a proper making of from the DVD range or now, and that's essentially because nobody wanted to come in and talk about it. Like, I think they could get about three people who were in it or are working on it to actually come and talk about it. So that's why it's only like a 10 minute sort of featurette rather than a proper making of because it was such a disaster and a mess. And, you know, the director left halfway through, didn't he? That they just, they, they, no one wants to talk about the horror show that was Nightmare of Eden, um, at least off screen. Even though I don't think it's that bad on screen. Um, but yeah, let's let's work our way kind of chronologically through the various features that were new for the Blu-ray. So we won't cover the DVD stuff so much because, you know, it's been out for... Well, most of the DVD. I mean, City of Death's been out since 2005, I realised. It's been a very, very long time ago that that got its um, DVD release. But yeah, the first new feature was a, a big, long, on-location making-of documentary for Destiny of the Daleks called Return to Scarrow, um, which we saw we saw a Dalek out in the um, quarry where they shot Destiny of the Daleks. They got a Dalek model out there as well, which I thought was a really cool, just uh, adds a bit of atmosphere to a documentary because... In many ways, it was your kind of classic talking heads making of documentary where we're discussing between actors and cars talking about stories from the production or whatever. But at least if you've got this kind of new footage from on location with a Dalek, I feel like that just kind of keeps it that little bit more interesting than it maybe otherwise would be. I don't know, Charlie, did, what did you think of the uh, new documentary for Destiny? It was um, it was quite interesting, to be honest. I do, um, unless I really like the story or there's something significant about it, like I definitely watch one for Creature from the Pit or something, mm-hmm. um, then talking head documentaries are a bit boring. You know, the, I feel they are a little bit dragged out lots of the time. Um, but since they did get, um, you know, the Dalek on location, I think, it, yeah, what you said, it does add a bit of extra intrigue, you know, like when they, um, for the Web of Fear special edition, when yeah. they went to um, the London Underground, that mm-hmm. was interesting, you know, it mm-hmm. added a bit more to it. and. Um, you know, it's just nice hearing about the, you know, the, the production really it always is. Um, and I don't think it felt too dragged out, maybe, you know, I I, I didn't like pick up my phone or something, you know, it, it was engaging <laughs> yeah. enough for the time yeah. I had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What about you, Ryan? What was your um, feelings on this doc? In a, in a way, very similar to Charlie. Um, I thought it was a, a good documentary. It definitely helped that um, this... This, this story had a, a documentary world considering that it didn't have one yeah. previously mm-hmm. so having known more about the behind the scenes of this story did help it and it did help make things a little bit more sense they explained like the reason why the Daleks and Dallas looked as tatty as they were was because um, th- those were the only props that, ha- that the BBC had at the time and mm-hmm. they didn't have enough money to renovate them or to to repair them, which is why they looked as shabby as they were. And, and I'm kind of like, well, of course that makes perfect sense. <laughs> um, when, yeah. And in a way, this was kind of during the um, the winter, during, this was set during the period of the winter of discontent as it was during the, the late 70s when there were huge budget cuts mm. and um, budget problems and strikes happening at the BBC. And so hearing this about the Daleks, kind of helped make things more sense and it was interesting just hearing about how um that Terry Nation was flirting about with the idea of doing um crossover having the Daleks in Blake 7 yes which, that was really um, interesting yeah yeah and um, it's got me weirdly fascinated to know if it would have ever really have 
worked out. But then again, they got Colin Baker and Blake Seven. So mm, I mean, would would um, we then <laughs> would then Blake Seven universe be canon within the Would it all be in the same universe then? Do we think exactly? And, That'd be an and interesting. Big does, yeah, Big Finish does Blake Seven. So and then mm. so there's the connection that would, there. That um, would technically make uh, EastEnders Doctor Who canon. Though. True <laughs> dimensions in time. Yeah, it's best not to oh. think. I mean. Yeah. <sighs> Some days dimension of time is canon, some days it's not for me, is, is how I look at it. <laughs> East, I think it's, I think we could all need to agree that East Enders should never ever be canon to anything and just well, leave yes. it. In, yes. in, I mean, I just, oh, dimensions in time. It, I'm now getting weird PTSD flashbacks from watching it. So. I feel like um, we'll have to do a podcast purely on that, doc, that, that um, story, I think, won't we? At some point in the future, oh, I think that's going to break me. I think if I want yeah. it again, my brain is going to bubble out of my ears. Um, anyway, um, and also it was funny enough. I, I think this was in the documentary, or it, or it might have been on the commentary that Terry Nation apparently allegedly delivered no more than a very thin script outline that just basically rehashed old Dalek stories and ideas. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he, even though it's credited as written by Terry Nation, it's a little bit of a misnomer since I think most of it was really done by Douglas Adams. Yeah. I mean, Terry Nation sort of delivered the outline and just said to, was just like, okay, Douglas, you do the rest, which I think is very interesting and probably why it explains why it's as weird and bizarre and as comedic as it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I, you always got the impression with Terry Nation that I, in the early days he was quite committed to Doc 2 but later on he kind of you know almost was like doing the minimum to get a paycheck just dining out on the dark I don't know maybe that's a bit of a sweeping statement but you just get that impression that like he was like I've got the Daleks so I've got all the money in the world for it and it's, I can just throw any script at them and they'll use it because it's got Daleks in it and then clearly they've you know gone actually you can't just make we, we did the we, we already did it in Planet of the Daleks where you just rehash the first four Dalek stories you're not doing it again was clearly their perspective and so you get at least, you know, I guess a slight, I don't think, is there, do you feel like there's any direct comparisons to previous Dalek stories? Do we feel like this is at least a sort of original idea, if nothing else? And, uh, yeah, I mean, even though we watch in Destiny, um, it is a little bit like, okay, they're in a war with a race of robots, which is kind of a rip-off from The Chase, where at the True. end of The Chase, they, yep. they were at war with a race of robots and yeah. using humans to mine stuff. That's some Dalek invasion of Earth. And, yeah. of course, the on a wanton Scarrow, um, confronting Davros in a ruined city, Genesis of the Daleks. It just feels like, oh, we've got all these other stories. What do we need this one for? It's yeah. just, I think it kind of makes, we watched it, especially when compared it to the other Dalek stories that did these ideas and done them to, so in some degrees, much better. It just kind of makes the old destiny a bit pointless. Mm. Maybe that's just yeah. me. It, yeah. it does feel a bit like a prologue to Resurrection, maybe. Mm. Yeah, especially when it sets up everything that's going on with the Mavellan virus mm. and Davros getting released and the Daleks needing him to try and again try to bring him back to solve a problem for them. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they like to rehash that idea, don't they? Them trying to rescue Davros for various different reasons. I feel like that's quite a common thread in future Dalek stories. Yeah, I feel like the only time it got it 
kind of right. Was in Modern Doctor Who when Dalek Khan went back to rescue mm. Davros from the Time Lord to help save the Dalek race, even though the Khan was kind of a bit of a double agent. It was revealed that even though he saved Davos, he kind of needed Davos to bring all this to bring about the end of the Dalek race yeah. by this other Doctor. I feel like that may have been the only time it got it right in terms of the Daleks needing Davros for something, but yeah, it's just with this story, I just feel like it was just kind of like, oh, that's from that story. It's This is from this story. It yeah. just... Yeah, it... I... It's a, it's a shame watching it back that I was able to point all this stuff out and in a way hearing that Terry Nation only delivered that out, just a brief outline, just kind of sums it up really. And it's a shame considering that he did Genesis, which I feel like he did care more about because at least he was doing something different, but it just feels like he's kind of, it, I feel like that he just kind of gave up after that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this, yeah, that was kind of his last bit, wasn't it? Delivering this outline, and then there wasn't a lot more from Terry Nation to come after that. Um, but, well, that was the Return to Scar documentary, which I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I think it's definitely worth a watch. And so next for me was one of the highlights of this box, actually, which was the Douglas Adams documentary, which was on the... Um, a city of was on the city of death disc i think it was wasn't it um which is a sort of 50 minute or so kind of just biography retrospective documentary about douglas adams life obviously his work on doctor Who, but also everything else he did mainly pitchhikes guide to the galaxy and the likes had some very interesting people on there you had um john lloyd who was one of the producers who the main guy he worked with to create hitchhiker's, hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy basically and produced that for radio and and so it was very interesting to get a perspective from a guy who was very very close to him through that period of his life also interesting to get quite famous people like richard dawkins on for it as well which i thought was quite interesting um and i don't know it just gave a very i sort of knew a bit about douglas adams we've all you know heard the stories about his love for you know putting a load of comedy into doctor who the story of him writing city of death over a wee being locked away over a weekend and writing it and you know we've we've heard those ones but i thought it was interesting to learn more about you know some of the challenges that he faced and that that probably he wasn't ever really cut out to be a script editor like he wasn't really kind of dedicated enough to the work like his it just wasn't his mindset he wasn't able to work like that and so yeah i just thought it was a really like a documentary that wasn't afraid of shying away from some of the negative aspects of him as person. not that he was you know a bad person anyway just that maybe the the the, the doctor job he ended up in well, he wasn't really seated to. And, and as they say, he'd suddenly become a millionaire doing Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So it was almost like he didn't really need the job on Doctor Who. And he wasn't pretty suited to it that well either. And so it sort of just created that that rather complex situation in his life, which I, I thought was really, really well explored in the documentary alongside, obviously, you know, the impact his death had on the various um, people as well. But yeah, uh, Ryan, what did you think of the, the Douglas Adams doc? I thought this was easily the best new documentary of the box set. Yeah. It really perfectly summarises both the strengths and the weaknesses that mm. Douglas Adams had when he was a script editor on Doctor Who. In a way, it kind of perhaps sums up, also relates back to the, maybe the faults of season 17 a bit, because as I said, he wasn't cut out to be, even some people involved said he wasn't perhaps cut out to be a script editor. They said, I, I've got a quote here that... Um, he said that he was a difficult person to get scripts out of yeah. and and uh, that he wasn't that that well organized which kind which really sums up the fact that he doesn't as a script editor he doesn't really have the 
the way of tightening up scripts and in mm-hmm. choosing to laugh them with silliness. Yeah. And and it and they even said that he encouraged actors to ad lib as much as they want, even it served a function to the plot, regardless if it did. Um yeah. and yeah, it just I think it does also some also saying like he had all these big dreams of wanting to do other stuff and wanting to sell hitchhikers guys to the galaxy to the to the Americans wanting to make dreams of making this big movie which after his death it after yeah, his they death yeah. it did end up making it in 2005. Um and even Chris ha- Christopher Hamilton Bid Mead even showed mm-hmm. up in this documentary um saying that when he took over from a script editor he said that he was reluctant because he thought it become too silly and highlighting all the, um, all the issues that he had with the show, saying that silly was Douglas's keyword, so to speak, mm. and which is a little bit um, much considering this is the guy that who I think is too sciencey. Is <laughs> he's an yes. exciting, definitely hard sciencey is his mm. keyword, and um, but in a way he doesn't, and I'm glad that in a way he doesn't really speak negatively about. Adams, he does have like a mutual respect for him, which I thought was was definitely much appreciated. And Lala Ward especially talks about how much of her Doctor Who connection is through Douglas and how much they had a really close friendship and how her and Richard Dawkins planted a tree in his memory after he died, which I thought was actually quite moving. So, yeah, I thought this was a really, you know, solid... A documentary that really cuts to the core of of Douglas Adams uh, uh, as he is as a person, his strengths, his weaknesses, and say, and even said like if he had the capability of fully concentrating as a script editor, he could have taken Doctor to a new level, like perhaps what T Davis uh, did when he brought Doctor back. But because of the fact that he was so disorganized and just never could get scripts or books in on time and mm. and and was a very difficult person to get scripts out of. Maybe it just kind of shows that perhaps he wasn't best suited to take over script editor after Anthony Reid left. But who knows? I mean, but then again, he when he took over script editor, he helped Doctor get us that many ratings up during yeah. that year, uh, even though. ITV was on Channel 4 yes. off the air. <laughs> yes, so, so it's, a, it's a debatable highest ever figure for City of Death, isn't it? But um, yeah, it's still true. It's still true. It's still a fact. Um, but yeah, but Charlie, what did you um, think of the Douglas Adams documentary? Um, I did really expect to like this. I did think it would be the highlight. I'm a huge fan of obviously... Well, like every, every Doctor Who fan is pretty much a fan of um, Douglas Adams' Doctor Who scripts, as well as, um, for me, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, it, it was really, really interesting. I do love it when um, in these they like properly drill into the detail. Like, you know, they don't just rehash over the same things over and over again like they've done in the DVDs. Like, mm. um, it reminds me of for the season eight box set, the um, In Conversation with Katie Manning. It explores, mm. you know, the, um, you know, the other parts of their lives that we don't really, you know, you know, they don't really talk about much you know yeah. it's um i just think it's definitely um more of an interesting watch than just you know he locked himself away in a hotel for a weekend and wrote city of death and it, you know it, it's less about dr Hooper, say and more about him which i think was yeah really interesting 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's always good with with figures like this, almost when the documentary doesn't focus too much on Doctor Who, because you know yeah. we we as fans we know all the anecdotes about their Doctor Who work generally, and actually it's a lot more interesting to learn more about who the person is, you know, their flaws, why you know you can then you know learn from their upbringing or whatever why their doc their, the way they worked in Doctor Who was the way it was. We're going to get to see that in lots of different documentaries about different people, and so I think that's just where this documentary is really successful in doing that. Um, and, you know, I think it's definitely one I'd, I'd, you know, go, go back to at some point in the future as well. When it, when I come around to watching season 17 again, I, I, you know, I certainly would stick this documentary on again, because I think it's just a thoroughly interesting insight into a, a complex man who, you know, as they said in the documentary, he definitely lost too early. You know, I would have been fascinated to see Douglas Adams perspective on new who, like, you know, I, I don't know whether they would have got him on to write an episode. I mean, can you imagine him writing an episode of new who? I think it would have been, very interesting i mean i, I don't know i, I feel like I, I feel like writing like a series for david Tennant, catherine tate script by douglas adams i feel like that would be like it would be very douglas adams you know comedy heavy but i feel like that could really really would have worked so well if he'd been around to be able to do something like that um Absolutely. so it's a shame that well we never had that opportunity but um yeah for me one of the highlights of the box set and i think it was for you guys as well um, so next we come on to a couple of uh, features which actually only use archive interviews and footage to kind of create them, um, which are the uh, Remembering Creature um, documentary or sort of mini documentary uh, on about Creature in the Pit and also the Lull Award season 17 just sort of conversation thing that she did as well. So for that first one features three archive interviews from I think about you know 15 years ago or so now. Um, with it's Matt, it's Matt Irvine, the um, special effects guy. It's um, Christopher Barry, the director. And can you remember the other guy, other person was on this? I can't actually remember who it was. Yes, that was it. Yes, and they were. Ba- it, it's it's not really a making of documentary. It's more just kind of like here's what I remember about the production of Creature from the Pit, and obviously reminds us how much of you know like a lot of sixteen seventeen was how difficult it was about how impractical and ridiculous the idea of Irato was and, you know, how that all just completely fell apart as a concept. And when they were shooting it, how almost embarrassed they were to be shooting Irato because they knew it was awful. It looked terrible. You know, they were fully aware of it, but they they had no other alternatives. They had to do it. So I thought, you know, I felt like I learned a couple of new things. It was sure it was a fairly, you know, simple feature of just a few interviews put together, but I still felt it was reasonably interesting. I mean, Charlie, did you get anything new from this, this little feature? Um, I, yeah, I think it was an okay special feature, not like the highlight of the box set or anything, but, um, these things always do make me appreciate how at least, you know, they persevere with a budget of, I mean, probably, you know, not very much, um, you know, it does make me think at least they tried, you know, it's better than just cancelling Doctor Who because it had such a low budget, at least Mm -hmm. they persevered. Yeah. And and I love with, well, we see it throughout 95% of Doctor Who, there's, there's always ambition, Doctor Who generally never plays it really safe. Even in this series, you know, they go for the, the massive, ridiculously sized Irato that's never going to work as a monster because they haven't got the money for it, but they still go for it and do it because why not? Um, and, you know, I think that that can be seen. I mean, I think that's a lot of the Graham Williams era, to be fair. There's a lot of ambition in some of the stuff they do, but it was almost some of the worst period for the budgets for them. And you, it really shows, particularly later in the seasons. Um, but I love that they at least have ambition for it. Um, but yeah, Ryan, your favourite story, Creature of the Pit. What did you think about the little feature about it? <laughs> um, I thought this was a, a decent documentary, but I just feel like in comparison to the other documentary that was obviously released before the DVD, 
Team Arata, which perfectly sums up yeah. all the mishaps they had of creating that monster and just hearing some of the hilarious things that they had to go through. Yeah. I just don't think it quite measured up to that one. I feel mm-hmm. like I kind of knew some of this stuff before because of that brilliant yeah. documentary that perfectly sums up everything. But um, I did learn some new things, like um, David Fisher saying how it was kind of a difficult story to write because of the fact that Douglas Adams wanted to have more humour injected into it and, yeah. and the fact that the film sequ- all the scenes that were shot on film were done at Ealing Studios because mm-hmm. none of the sets at the normal BBC Studios were big enough to film the jungle scenes, and which to be fair are, even though I do mock Creature from the Pit the jungle settings do mm. look amazing, I will say they do look really impressive and- um, and well, if you're watching on YouTube, we will have seen that I can't hide little cuts in the video anymore. Um, so I'll zoom call run out. So that's why Ryan got cut off there. But Ryan, carry on with your thoughts on uh, the Creature from the Pit <laughs> little documentary feature we had. Um, well, and it, it's, uh, yeah, um, I do think with Creature from the Pit, um, it, what, hearing, watching the documentaries, I'll just watch it again. I will say, I don't think it's necessarily a bad story and I know it does look great especially with the whole the films scenes with the jungle and mm. everything and it's just it's big problems it's just the fact that it just got unfortunately saddled with the worst monster in Doctor Who history <laughs> <laughs> I think that's yeah that's pretty much sums it up doesn't it like I don't think that Creature from the Pit I, I don't think it's an awful actual Doctor Who story like there's some interesting elements in there you know, it's, 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 I'm not saying it's classic Doctor Who, but it's not bad. You just get to towards the end of the story, you see Arato and you just really have to take a big, you know, deep breath and um, suspend your disbelief more than most other Doctor Who stories require you to do to really take it seriously. Or you just laugh at it. Also, that is another option, which may be just as good an option, quite frankly. I, I think everyone needs to take a real deep breath and collect themselves both before and after that moment when Tom grabs the end of that thing and gives it a damn good blow. I still can't believe they got it past the BBC censors. I I think they did that on purpose. They they should have cut it out. If they were followed by any rules of Hmm. decency or appropriateness for children, they would have cut it out. But I bet they included it on purpose and i bet tom baker did that on purpose i don't I'm think sure that was did, a yeah. i think he just <laughs> i think he just came up yeah. with it on the spot and i can't blame him and even on that dvd documentary that they included here they even mentioned that tom baker especially was having a right good old time with that monster <laughs> oh i'm sure he was i'm sure he was having great fun on the set i mean what else could you do apart from have a laugh about it i suppose um, and well, apparently it was, um, you know, whereas some violent scenes weren't enough, were, were too bad for Mary Whitehouse. This, this was no problem to Mary Whitehouse back in the day, apparently, when I would say it might be even more questionable than some of the stuff we saw in the, the um, Hinchcliffe era, which caused lots of issues. Um, so yeah, that's quite interesting. But yeah, that was, that was that little feature. The other archive feature um, on this release, uh, well, incorporating an archive interview was the season, uh, Lala Ward discussion about season 17, 
which is a documentary from I think 2000 or an interview from 2007 which was bits of it were used for the um, a matter of time documentary which was uh, is included in the set now was originally on the um, reboss operation I think uh, and is basically just the kind of era retrospective documentary about the Graham Williams era and clearly they sat Lala down for three hours and made her talk about all all of her Doctor Who for ages because this is this is like nearly an hour long and this is only on kind of season 17 and you know stuff that was going on around the time of season 17 and so as much as it is you know a rehashed interview from 15 years ago actually i i found it thoroughly enjoyable and interesting i mean sure there were some you know anecdotes that we've heard before but i feel like we're kind of getting to that point in you know doxy documentaries and stuff where inevitably you're going to hear some anecdotes you've heard before because there's only so many to tell and some actors and actresses just love to tell the same anecdotes um but i still felt like you know that she covered off all the stories she was in i think you know talking about the challenges of doing you know creature from the pit her short sort of thought her performance was very different to what it was in her other stories and she was more i think didn't she say she was more like the first romana the mary town romana and then kind of created her own character a bit more from um destiny of the daleks onwards because that's when they shot them um and so it's interesting to kind of then look at creature from the pit and see actually yeah maybe her portrayal of the character and the outfit she had and everything was more the Mary Tam Romana than than what really Lala's Romana Romana sort of became. There's a little bit of a conversation about the stuff with, you know, getting married to Tom Baker, but you kind of got the impression she didn't really want to talk about that too much, I felt like. She was kind of dodging it a little bit where she could. Um but yeah, Charlie, did what did you learn anything new? Do you have some interesting takes from this uh, little interview? Um uh, yeah, I, I do understand what you're saying about how, you know, there's only so many anecdotes, so much information about the production that you know, we're all like massive Huvians. We yeah. you know, probably know most of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting um, interview. I personally, I do prefer hearing um, my people who worked at part of the crew of the story, like mm. the directors, producers, writers. Although, you know, it was still really interesting. I think most of the actors do, um, you know, a very like well-spoken, like, you know, they can, you know, talk about it for a while and it's, you know they maintain it and it's it's pretty interesting so yeah. um i don't actually think i watched all of this um <laughs> it was pretty long it's like 55 minutes i think yeah um but yeah i did watch most of it and um yeah it, it's really enjoyable and um obviously what you were saying about her talking about you know the progression of her character because obviously she didn't re- she hadn't really characterized you know the second incarnation of romana so mm. you know she her only template was obviously mary tam who you know looking at um the scenes in the creature from the pit where she was in the um that like hut the the tent place with those yeah. barbarians you know she was basically just playing there at Romana. so yeah. yeah all of that was was really interesting as well mm. yeah I certainly felt like i learned something new from that and it's interesting you say about how it's often more interesting to hear from the car the, the sort of crew and directors and writers rather than the cast themselves because usually the actors just go oh we had great fun filming at our location it was great fun with all these actors in the hotel i remember having a great laugh in the pub blah 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 which is all fun and nice but doesn't actually give you any real substance to kind of the how the production came together in any issues and they're almost maybe less likely to be critical of it than than sort of the crew who works at it remember actually oh gosh that was awful maybe you guys were having fun filming out on location but we were having a horrible time and so i do think and i and i feel like lala was generally fairly positive about season 17 and just talked about how she you know enjoyed doing it with tom and how it was generally great fun and i'm like i'm sure it was for you but there was also pretty quite a lot of people who it was a bit of a nightmare for um, a nightmare of eden um but it's I don't know. It was it was just quite an, it was quite an interesting feature that I thought. I mean, Ryan, what did you think about it? 
Well, funnily enough, with uh, Nightmare of Eden, and she does briefly touch up upon it where she recalls an incident where the director, Alan Bromley, repeated something like six, seven, eight oh, yes. times over yeah. the microphone, and Tom was just like, what? What is he saying? And after the last time, Tom just picks up a, a megaphone and he's just like, can somebody please tell me what it is he's wanting? I'm getting psittacosis listening to that parrot, <laughs> which yeah. was one of many incidents between Tom and that director. And, yeah. and so I think it kind of perhaps shows up the, the atmosphere from that story. But um, yeah, with this interview, it, she does touch upon some very interesting uh, little tidbits about the fact that she was very much in support of the sort of the comedic mm. humour of Douglas Adams, um, most likely because they were close friends and he gave her a lot of freedom to ad-lib and yeah. provide as much comedy when needed. And and she, although she does understand how people may be critical of it and they were perhaps used to the seriousness of it, even though from her perspective, she felt like she was coming into it as if it was a children's programme that would make it for children and how Tom sort of, in a way, kind of changed his performance as it goes on to, because he feels like children are watching this. I need to appeal to children more to show that adults can be as childlike mm-hmm. as well children. And so yeah. it was definitely it was definitely an interesting talk. Um, listen, about from her about her perspective of working on season 17, even though I kind of heard some of it before on the, mm. the Graham Williams retrospective documentary that was released on the Reboss operation. Yeah. It was still, it was still definitely a fascinating watch. I did like you. I found it very entertaining. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it was, a you know, it probably was a little bit long. I feel like I was kind of looking at my phone a bit towards the end and wasn't paying hundred percent attention just because it was a very long, just one interview sort of thing. You know, often that sort of length thing would be a talking heads with lots of different people, but it was just Lala the whole time. And so that kind of dragged towards the end. But, you know, there's still lots of interesting stuff in there. Some of it rehashing, but also some interesting new insight as well. Um, and so the next kind of big new feature was the uh, what became quite poignant in conversation, uh, Matty Sweet in conversation, which this time was with Bob Baker which kind of had added significance from when they first announced it because, of course, Bob Baker passed away between them recording this uh, in conversation and the release of this box set and saying we have to watch this. I I, I did wonder if they were going to add a little note at the end of some sort, kind of, you know, saying in, in, in remembrance of Bob Baker. I was kind of slightly surprised they didn't, but, you know, I did, it, it, it certainly added poignancy to the the line when Matthew Sweet mentions to Bob about how he's the, like, final surviving writer or the earlier surviving writer. Um, of Doctor Who from like I think the last ones from the 70s um, and you know he's he's quite sort of stumped by that almost I think a bit taken aback by that fact and you know it's, it really sort of adds you know a tinge of sadness to know now he's not that because he's no longer with us but um, I mean I, I'm not I can't qu- I'm not quite sure how I feel about this this one I don't think it's one of the best in conversations we've had so far like I think there was some good stuff in there but it, I certainly felt like earlier on it sort of Bob was kind of going on and on a bit and it felt like Matthew Sweet was kind of trying to bring him back onto topic every time almost not letting him get to the point he wanted to get to he was kind of cutting in and going yeah well what about when you met Dave Martin and let's get to when you met Dave Martin like when he's trying to give a bit of background on his you know his childhood his life and stuff and I I felt like Matthew didn't quite give him enough kind of time to kind of do that and it yeah 
there were just a few moments where I, I you felt like Bob was a bit kind of I don't know frustrated. I, I don't know if that's the wrong word. I don't know. It just he didn't he just didn't seem you know wholly relaxed all of the time during the interview, which I guess is you know he's he's not an actor. He's probably not used to it in quite the same way. But um, I just thought that was slightly noticeable. As much as there was a lot of interesting stuff we learned there about you know some of these sort of. I think a theatre production that he did I'd never heard of about Vietnam and stuff um, which sounded really really interesting obviously a bit of perspective on the Wallace and Gromit stuff as well and alongside all of his um, Doctor Who endeavours and you know some of the notable uh, like I think there was you know it sort of seemed like they t- Matthew touched the nerve with his comments about um, the sort of nickname that they that Terence Dix I think had for him back in the day or had for the Bristol boys back in the day I, you sort of got the impression that he didn't necessarily love the nicknames that they got given, even though he maybe wouldn't come out and explicitly state it. And so, yeah, I, I, I thought it was, you know, a fairly interesting um, conversation, you know, with with one of the writers who I don't think he's written any of my favourite Doctor Who stories, like the the combo. I don't think they're ever awful. I just don't think any of them would be like my, you know, absolute favourites. Um, but yeah, Ryan, what did you, what was your perspective on this, this, um, conversation? I, I thought it was a decent, um, conversation. I, I don't think it holds up to like the other Matthew Sweet interviews. I mean, I still think the Tom Baker one from season, season 12 is still a high point yeah. for me. I don't, it definitely doesn't reach that. I think it dragged on a bit longer than it should mm. have done. I feel like it could have easily been cut down a bit more but it was interesting hearing you know his different working relationships with um uh uh dave martin and then ha- how he then transitioned to working with them um, nick park when he when they started working on arm animations and it was different interesting hearing the different working relationships i mean he says that dave martin could type he could do the typing yeah. well i couldn't yeah. and it was definitely interesting although i do agree it does drag on a bit and as as i mentioned it, that does lead it to perhaps make go on longer than it should have done mm-hmm. but it was definitely in, sort of interesting sort of like he's different sort of viewpoints on the different stories like he said about clause of access about he, he wanted it to be about false advertising and when looking at it it kind of sort of is if you look deeply mm-hmm. and it's kind of like oh it, he does provide some different vectors yeah. Yeah. and as far as him as a writer is concerned, I do think he's written, for me, he's done like three enjoyable stories. I think Claws of Axos, Sontaran Experiment, and especially The Three Doctors, I think they are they are solid stories. The others, though, I can't really say I'm a fan of. Um, yeah, but, not so um, much. I don't, and I do think this it was a decent documentary, although watching it, as you mentioned, it was a bit sad watching it, considering that hearing the news that he unfortunately passed away yeah Yeah. it was a little bit sad after watching it yeah and i thought it sort of added extra poignancy to that lovely final little scene where they got um canine to meet gromit didn't they um which i thought was just you know a great bit of fun kind of world colliding in that sense and having you know bob watch on there i thought with with matthew was just a really fun and an, an extra poignant moment i thought to sort of end the little feature on but yeah charlie what did you think of this conversation this was a really, really um, like I really did like it. Um, I've not, uh, you know, I've not got all of the Blu-ray box yeah. sets. I've only got um, eight. Um, I've only got the three ones released in twenty twenty one. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel um, 
you know, I don't have much to compare this with, but I feel it, it was quite interesting. Um, I feel he's, you know, it's not like he's Douglas Adams and he's written three really well-loved Doctor Who stories. He's yeah. one of the more divisive writers. Mm. Um, obviously, we were talking about um, Three Doctors the other day, um, which... Yes. I, I do find a bit mixed. Um, Claws of Axos, though, I do love. Um, Invasion of Time was a fantastic mm. four-parter. Um, <laughs> no, the um, last two parts are the best bit. What are you talking about? The tar- running um, around the TARDIS with some Tarans. It's great fun. I love it. Anyway, I'm sure you guys don't, but that's me. Um, sorry, carry on. Um, yeah, Armageddon Factor. I'm, I'm a bit, I'm okay, a bit next. mixed on. Um, it it yeah, drags um, on forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's um. He, so yeah, he's one of the more divisive writers. Um. Although you know, I do think it was an interesting documentary. I feel compared to the Katie Manning one from the season eight box set, which I've also um, watched recently. Yeah. Um. I, I feel it feels a bit less like lighthearted and cozy because there were a few mm. times where, like you said, it felt a little bit tense because obviously he's not an actor and he's not done as many like press things. He's not yeah. as used to it, maybe, like he says. Um, although generally, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I think in general, it was a thoroughly interesting lesson. And, you know, there was definitely some new stuff we learned there about um, different stuff. You know, that it, sort of his perspective, I thought was interesting to hear that kind of he really enjoyed Doc 2, but Dave Martin always just kind of used it as a way of making some money to go and do more interesting things, which I thought was interesting. And I just, what I'd never thought about before was the fact that because there's two writers, they got paid half the paycheck each, which, you know, he was earning half the money for doing a script for Doc 2 that anybody else was. So I just, I'd never thought about it. I just thought that was quite an interesting point as well. Um, but yeah, so overall, a, a fairly interesting um, documentary and certainly something I, I, at some point in the future, I'll probably watch it again, but I think it'll probably be a little while. Um, and then the other, one of my other favorite features of this box set was something which I didn't really know what to expect going in was the Tom Talks feature, which kind of on the surface of it, you're like, is this going to really be interesting or really have any point to it? And actually, I, I thought it was thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. I mean, obviously, Tom Baker is an interesting man. Um, and to basically give him some very tenuously linked to season 17 discussion points, like they, they were very tenuous. They were kind of just get to get him to give anecdotes about his life. But actually, the anecdotes I thought were fascinating. Like, it was really interesting hearing all this stuff about being brought up in a in a church and his sort of perspective on religion and stuff that he started off discussing. And then, you know, the stuff about um, being a force in um, being on Blackadder, wasn't it, with uh, Rowan Atkinson? And kind of the I, I I kind of felt like I'd heard that anecdote before, but I don't know. I couldn't decide whether I'd heard about him, you know, Rowan Atkinson getting really mad at Tom Baker or being really, you know, annoyed by Tom Baker and things. I don't know if I'd heard that before or not. I think I heard about it in a Radio Times interview that Tom gave. He mentioned, I think he mentioned the story mm-hmm. there, but actually hearing it in full here, yeah. it does add a bit more to it, I feel, um, mm. because having also rewatched the Blackadder two episodes he was in, I do think it's one of the best episodes of Blackadder ever. Mm-hmm. I, still, I still can't forget Tom Baker being... Long on beard, short on legs, and of course, he was fine. I'm o- I know I'm only a bluff old cove with no legs and a beard that you can lose a badger in. And <laughs> all that is just yeah. so brilliant and yeah. enjoyable. And it's so sad to hear that T's experience was perhaps was the complete opposite. The fact yeah. that um, Rowan, in particular, well, specifically Rowan, was against Tom Baker being Tom Baker's and he wants it to tone it down and make him boring just mm-hmm. perhaps 
not to overindulge, maybe not to upstage him, who knows? And yeah. the directors are being like, ignore what Rowan says. He says this to every actor he co- who comes in, just do you. And then because of that, Rowan didn't speak to Tom ever again after yeah. that. And, yeah. and even Tom himself mentioned the fact that he kind of stuck with him and it still stuck with him. And the fact that he's still a little bit disheartened by it, which mm. kind of... Is, is, is a real shame because, as I said, he's he was the standout in that brilliant Blackadder episode, and it was yeah, it was still sad to hear that he had a kind of a horrible, tough time on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, 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 I do think this was you. You know, you've got Tom in a very sort of reflective mood almost. I, I feel like through the kind of DVD and into the Blu-ray range, we've seen many different sort of iterations of almost Tom being interviewed. You kind of had the earlier days of the DVD range where he was almost like taking the mick out of anything and cracking as many jokes as possible in every single thing he had to say about any story he worked on or whatever. He'd just be sort of playing it all for the laughs and interviews. And I feel like now we've kind of reached that stage. He's got a bit older and he's a bit more kind of still like fun and making jokes, but in a more sort of reflective and, and sort of reminiscing almost kind of way. Um, I think it was in, in this feature, wasn't it, where he talks about how, you know, he, he doesn't want to die, basically, that he's not, you know, he doesn't really want to, he's not really looking forward to the idea of going. He's not really, you know, content with that. I thought that was quite, an, you know, an interesting reflection for him to kind of own up to on a, on a you know, a, a little interview like that. It's, it's sort of quite a personal thing, I guess. So it, the, a feature like this, it sort of really feels like you're getting kind of an insight into Tom Baker as a person that bit more and learning more things about his life that we didn't know, even though, you know, none of it's really anything to do with Doctor Who, but I thought it was a fascinating listen. I mean, Charlie, what did you you think about this feature? Um, honestly, yeah, I, I could listen to Tom Baker talk about literally anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's literally I've, it, yeah. Yeah, I've heard him being described as like the, the British Morgan Freeman. He, he mm. just, yeah, you could hear him talk about something for ages. Um, And yeah, I do think... Yeah, like looking at some of the um, older special features, like on Genesis of the Daleks, I think it was. Yeah. Um, he, he does seem to be taking it as a bit of a joke because obviously mm. he wasn't a fan of his last couple of seasons. Um, but yeah, I, I do feel, you know, now, like you said, he's like a bit older. He's in a more like reflective mood. And, you know, he really does um, just, you know, uh, he could just talk about any random topic. Like, you know, he was talking about some like, as you said, very tenuous links to season mm-hmm. 17. And it's just really interesting to listen to just because it's Tom Baker. Like, yeah. I don't think they could do this with many other Doctor actors and have it be as effective. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, I think you really just feel that, you know, Tom feels like he's had a great life and he lo- obviously loved being a part of Doctor Who and I feel like more than ever he feels that now than maybe he did in the past when he was a bit you know, not obviously he always appreciated being on it, but I feel like he appreciates that even more than he ever did. And as you say, I don't, you know, I don't feel like a feature like this with Peter Davison would really be that interesting. And that's no slight to Peter. I just don't think that this sort of format of thing would really, really work with, frankly, as you say, any of the other doctors. So, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if, you know, four years time, if they do season 13 or something, let's have another one. Why not? Tom talks Mark two. I'll live in, I'd have another 45 minutes listening to Tom talk about random topics. It's good for me. Um, and well, the final couple of things I want to talk about, well, the big thing to talk about is the new definitive Sharda, the six episode version of Sharda, which is supposedly the final ever version of Sharda. But well, you know, when we're sat here in five years time discussing another version of Sharda, 
I don't even know how, but another version, you know, a new anime, a new fully animated version, I don't know. Um, then, you know, we'll we'll um, take those words back. But for now, this is the definitive version of Sharda. Um, as, as I say, a six-episode version, kind of basically just recutting up the version that they released in 2017, tweaking some of the animation here and there just to kind of tidy it up, improve it a little bit in places. It's nothing, you know, sig significant, but it just the little bits that rough around the edges it improves um i mean have you guys had a chance to watch the six episode version of sharda i have and i will say it is pretty it is kind of still the same animation the only things i've noticed is that they've altered the colors a bit to make it feel a bit more in line with the live action footage and i did notice that some of the um the changes like when we see the first time we see the animation and we see Chris Parsons cycling yep. down um, Cambridge. We actually see more, see people on the streets yes. as opposed to the previous animation where there was no one on the streets, yeah. which I did think was a bit odd back at the time, but now I did, did think that improved it mm. a lot more. And yeah, apart from that, it is basically the same, just chopped up into six chapters, which does help it. Um, it, it doesn't completely solve the pacing issues mm. when compared to how tightly constructed City of Death and Pirate Planet were. But yeah. in, in a way, watching this, it does help make it feel more like it's a part of season 17 now that it's split into six parts mm. and given its own release on the box set. I yeah. do think, in a way, it is sort of the definitive version, <laughs> but, as, but then again... Who knows what they could do in six, seven, eight years' time. Well, exactly. We'll, we'll probably never know for sure if there's going to be another version of Sharda, but at least for now we can hope it's the definitive one. Um, Charlie, did you think the cliffhangers worked? Do you know? Obviously they chopped it up, which wasn't the original plan when they made this version of it, even if the original script did have cliffhangers in it. Do you think that it, the kind of way it was split up worked quite well? Uh, yeah, I, I generally, yeah. I feel some of the cliffhangers were a bit... Are, you know, they're not the stereotypical cliffhangers. They're more just kind of nice ways to end the episode. Yeah. But it's not like a monster appears like in, you know, the vast majority of cliffhangers. Mm -hmm. um, I do think, yeah, the pacing issue, it does sort of solve that because two and a half hours, well, in some formats, like, you know, like Marvel or Star Wars films or something, it works brilliantly because yeah. they're designed for that format. But since these are literally just six episodes that are each their own, you know tiny story they can easily be separated i do feel it's better to have it in a six-part format um and what you were saying about the animation i did notice the um the other people on the street and just yeah. a very light polish that's very subtle but when you compare it with the 2017 animation it does it does look a lot better yeah absolutely i think it's just the final step up we need to have the version of that's the version of shoulder i'm always going to go back to now whenever i want to watch shoulder again i think i'm I, I can't really see myself going to the movie version. I don't see why I would really choose to go back to that over the six-part version now because it just feels more like how classic who's supposed to be watched is in the classic episodic format. Um, so I think that's, yeah, probably the definitive version for me at least. Um, and then the final feature, final new feature, well, a feature that we get on all the Blu-rays now is the behind the sofa features. Um, this edition featured uh, on one sofa or one of the sort of split up chairs. You had Graham Harper, June Hudson and Matt Irvine. You had Colin Baker and Matthew Waterhouse on another one. And then Katie Manning and Nicola Bryant on another one. So it was quite an interesting mix of um, people from different e from the era that it was and also different eras as well, giving their perspectives on it. Um, Charlie, what did you think of the the various behind the sofa features from this um, this box set? Did you think that they were some of the better ones compared to the ones you've seen? 
Um, I, f- I feel the biggest surprise in this that um, that Sarah Sutton and Janet Fielding weren't in this one. Mm, um, yeah, they're going to be shoo-ins <laughs> for all of them, aren't they? Yeah, um, but I do think, um, yeah, I, I do really love the behind the sofa. I think it, it's very obviously based off of like Gogglebox and things, yeah. which I don't really like, but for Doctor Who, I feel it really works, especially when it's such an extensive show and these people worked on completely different eras of the show, even Matthew yeah. Waterhouse, who was just a season later, but it was a completely different show at that point. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel the highlight of this is definitely Colin Baker and Matthew Waterhouse. Um, mm-hmm. I feel... Yeah. It's just so fantastic. And I, I really do respect Colin Baker because obviously how bad the BBC treated him back in the day. And yeah, he still, you know, goes on to talk about Doctor Who. I really think that's um, that's really nice of him. Um, and obviously he's just, he's the, the, you know, that um, like, well, split up chairs, not sofa. It's just yeah. loads of fun. Um, even yeah. um, Nicola Bryant and Katie Manning, they were entertaining. And um, obviously... I can't remember all of their names at this point, but um, the other sofa with the you know special effects and costume was interesting. Although I do think it would be interesting to mix up cast and crew for some of them. I think mm. I think that would be quite interesting at times. Maybe for some of the later ones where you know they're they're all part of that era. I think that would have been really cool as well. Yeah, you kind of feel like you've got the sort of actors' sofas where they're giving you know their sort of sort of funny comedic jibes about the episode. And then you've got the kind of production sofa where they're kind of just giving that, oh, yeah, when I worked on it, I did this and I did that, which is interesting. But it means you very much get more of the kind of informative sofa and then the more entertaining sofas um, rather than it kind of being spread across all of it, which I think might work better. I don't know. Uh, what about you, Ryan? What, was you, what did you think about the behind the sofas? Um, pretty much echoing what Charlie said. I thought it was a, a good time. I thought the highlight was some of the highlights were definitely the creature from the pit one where it was brilliant seeing their reactions to that creature for the very first time just gray and harper bursting out laughing and yeah. Matthew Waterhouse just reacting with pure horror yeah. while Colin is just like is that a mollusk it was just <laughs> absolutely brilliant um, yeah. although it's been a bit of a shame that they didn't see them react to when Tom Baker does that infamous scene it's a bit of a shame they yeah, we don't get a reaction to that. I thought that would yeah. have been so hilarious, but well, is that, hey, I guess maybe they didn't react to it. I don't know. Who knows what, <laughs> what that was? But yes, no, it was a bit of a shame not to get that bit. But um, still good fun overall as behind the sofa always is. And well, mm. that pretty much brings us to the conclusion of the new features on season seventeen. Overall, guys, do you think it was a, a, a an enjoyable box set? Do you feel like you know as much as we maybe don't love the stories, at least all the extra content enhances the the overall release. Um, I thought it, it was definitely a solid box set and it does and it did help sort of understand more behind the scenes of yeah. the season much more about the limitations they were faced with and and as I said even though it's not the best season in the world it's fair to say yeah. it's still you can't say it's not entertaining because yeah. holy moly and and it's definitely, and as I said at the beginning, coming after Doc 2 Flux, this was definitely the, and being just frazzled from that. This was the perfect, like, light entertainment I needed. Although, funny enough, um, very quickly, um, it's funny how we said about silly stuff in season 17. That infamous bit at the end of Doc 2 Flux with the Sontaran eating the chocolate, <laughs> now... 
in the I remember I hated that the first time I saw it, but watching actually watch that scene again in pure isolation, I I laughed my head off. I actually actually liked that scene now because watch it from the perspective like I watch a season 17 story. Yeah. It is so purely entertaining the fact that eating chocolate is like the equivalent of getting smashed on alcohol for the Sonsar yeah. and it's just so good. I mean, yes, it is ridiculous in context with the rest of the episode and and I still question what kind of paint in a chimney was sniffing when he thought of that scene, but mm. I still I don't hate that scene like I used to. Maybe everything beforehand just put me in a bad mood and maybe that's why mm. I didn't react as positively, but I don't really hate that scene anymore. Still hate the rest of the episode, though, but I don't hate that scene now. Well, there so, we go. I think that's the biggest piece of news from this whole podcast, to be honest, is that you don't hate the chocolate scene. I think that's the most significant you know, thing we could have possibly said the whole podcast. Um, but <laughs> but um, Charlie, season 17 boxer overall, an enjoyable one of the three you've got so far? Yeah, um, I'd say it perhaps in terms of content quality and quantity it's probably the lesser of the three released yeah. in 2021 yeah um, it's still an enjoyable one though mm. you know we've got some great special features on here um i i will say the highlight is definitely the Doug, douglas adams documentary yeah. um and probably behind the sofa as well i feel that's a very mm. consistently good one like you know what you're getting with that and it it delivers lots of the time um yeah um it's not the best season um i don't actually like it as much as i did before <laughs> i got the box set um yeah. which is kind of the reverse of season 24 really um yeah. but yeah it, it's it's always nice to have the box sets and it gets another divisive less liked one out of the way yeah exactly exactly and so well we won't have to revisit season 17 anymore this will be the final discussion about Irato and Creature from the Pit, Ryan. I'm afraid this is that's it. This it's done now. We're, we're putting it in the past. Bye bye, Irato. It was definitely interesting knowing you, but it's time to put all that weirdness behind us. I'm afraid. Well, uh, indeed, indeed. And in, and speaking of putting things behind us, it seems that B, the BBC may well be putting animations behind us because, of course, it's been rumoured that um, the BBC America are pulling out of animating Doctor Who and therefore the Abominable Snowmen may well be the final animation in the Classic Who range. Now, there's something that's been rumoured and discussed for a while. Um, and I so it wasn't a complete surprise to me when I saw this article the other week about it. I know it's not an official announcement, but um, the person who wrote it, as much as it's for a tabloid, was the person who correctly predicted Evil the Daleks, Abominable Snowmen, and Galaxy 4. So I feel like they're pretty, pretty sure they've got a source inside the BBC team who work on this, so they're probably correct. And it kind of leaves us to, to question where they're going to go with this are we are they going to look at Brickbox or something like that to enable some funding to be able to do these animations you know where where has it all gone wrong why bbc america choosing to pull out we don't we don't really know fully um but charlie do you think it'd be a real shame to see the animations come to an end given you know it feels like we're really getting into a stride with them now yeah probably um it does surprise me considering you know they're Obviously, physical media isn't as popular now as it was 10, 20 years ago, but it's still, you know, like these Doctor Who animations are topping the charts on Amazon. Yeah. Um, I remember one time it was quite surreal. Um, it was shortly after Evil of the Daleks was released. I was in Tesco and there was literally like a display of just Evil of the Daleks. Yeah. It was weird. Um, and, you know, so they're obviously popular. Um, I've seen some really like weird comments, people saying like, 
people have no interest in the classic series because of New Who. Like, I know. It's I, nonsense, I wouldn't really yeah. say that's true. Um, but yeah, it is definitely sad. Um, like, I don't think I'm as annoyed about it anymore, perhaps, mm. because I, I have realised just because BBC America have pulled funding doesn't mean they're going to stop like you said Britbox I've heard people saying it might be Britbox originals um yeah perhaps maybe like the Bad Wolf partnership might involve that somehow I, I don't know we'll just have to wait and see I really hope they do get at least one of them done you know in time for like the end of 2023 maybe if they yeah. can work out something um I do think it's a real shame though that they haven't done like Crusade Wheel in Space and Space Pirates because that's three seasons done. They were so close. Yep, exactly. There's, we, we got so close completing all these seasons and now we might end up with just reconstructions if they ever do the Blu-ray boxes for them. But Ryan, mm. the end of animations, bad news, isn't it? Yeah, very bad news. This is really bad. And if it's Britbox, if they're going to be exclusive to Britbox and they don't do Blu-ray releases, I mean, who knows if they will, but if it is solely for Britbox, it's yeah. going to be really annoying, especially somewhat for those, well, including me who don't have Britbox. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I kind of imagine I have myself. I, <laughs> I don't have Britbox. I'm shocking, sorry, Britbox shocking. Fans. Oh, we um, need to get them to sponsor us, though. You need to get it so they can sponsor us. Um, but I, I, I mean, I, I would envision that if they were to do them as Britbox originals, they'd probably put them on Britbox and then release a DVD like three months later or something, maybe. So you get that initial. If you want to watch it, get Britbox. But if not, then wait and you can get a DVD or Blu-ray. I mean, that's what I hope they do, but you never know. Yeah, it could. Yeah, I said it could end up being like what happened with. Well, totally unrelated, but it could be similar to what happened with the film Zack Snyder's Justice League, where oh, yeah. they put it out on um, uh, Sky Cinema, Sky Premiere, I think, um, yeah. when it came out, and then three about a couple, two, three months later, they released it on Blu-ray and 4K, yeah. and and so there was a physical list. They could end up doing that, but mm. I just don't know how popular it could be because of the fact that there are viewers like me who don't have Britbox. So if, it's just okay, so if you're putting it as a Britbox original first, is that going to be as successful as opposed to releasing it on Blu-ray first, where it's probably more successful? Mm. And I just can't help but feel that this news, combined with the whole news, what's been going on with the BBC and the government mm. and the licence, fees yeah. and everything and the whole announcement that dot two is going to be done with by now done by bad wolf productions and sony i can't help but feel that this is more than just a coincidence that this news is all these news are happening at the same time yeah so it is dot two going forward is going to be very strange <laughs> yeah it's, it's going to be interesting times and well we're, we're just gonna to have to wait and see whether um animations do return in the future we've obviously got a bumble snowman to look forward to at some point later this year and then we will simply just have to see where things take us in the future and hope that, you know, maybe we'll get animations from somebody else or with some other co-production in the future. But until then, we will just have to wait. But that's pretty much all we've got time for in this edition of Kavam. Just quickly to mention the rumour that had been doing the rounds um, for the latest collection release. Um, I'd seen, I think, the same website that listed uh, Galaxy 4 and Season 17 have suggested that Season 22, Colin Baker's first season, is going to be the next release in the collection range. Um, Charlie, really quick word, Season 22. Would you be excited for that? Um, I'll be excited for the box set. Um, it's, <laughs> it's another, it's like the third season in a row now that they're doing that isn't perceived as a very good one. Um, yes. I, I'd rather have like season seven, you know, or yep. 
season 13 or 16 or something like that, yeah. you know, or 25. I really want something like that, but mm-hmm. they're deciding to do another, you know, controversial and maybe get them out of the way. I don't know. Um, it will be nice to have Colin Baker's era pretty much completed, although yep, there are ways, dilemma. of course, yep. twin dilemma. But yeah, <laughs> still, exactly. we can forget about that story. Yeah, um, I think we should. I think we should just forget about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and Ryan, excited for 20, season 22 if it comes out? I love Revelation of the Daleks. I like Vengeance on Varos. Can't, do not care less. Don't care for everything else about that series. Just, mm. no, they're just... Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all I can say. Two stories out yeah. of out of the, all the others are just... It's not a good series, not a good yeah. debut season for Colin, I should say. And as to echo Charlie, I'm more excited about what they could be having for the box set rather than the yeah. season itself. Yeah, exactly. I think we can hope for the best from the box set itself. Um, but that's just about all we've got time for on this edition for, of Kavan. Please follow us on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. But from me, from Ryan and from Charlie, it's goodbye for now. For now.